Good morning. This is quite a treat to be able to minister this morning here with you to worship. A little background of this story, uh, the book of Ezra. Ezra is a scribe, and he's telling the story of when the exiles return back to uh, Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and the wall. Um, so um, we know the story where the Israelites uh, entered into apostasy. They fell away and got into all kinds of different uh, sins. We cataloged those pretty well over the past uh, few weeks as we've been studying the kings of old. Um, pretty bad stuff. And so God actually had to uh, judge as he said he would. And so they were removed from their land. And about 70 years went by and then they go back. And so that's where we pick it up where they, um, they're returning uh, to the land and um, we're going to look at uh, some of the difficulties that they had to uh, overcome. So let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would uh, anoint this time, that your spirit would uh, have free reign in our hearts. I pray that you would give us, each of us ears to hear what the spirit has to say, um, that we would have tender hearts and, and receive uh, your words in such a way that your name would be glorified and we would be changed. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've all experienced things that have made us afraid before. We get fearful. Um, a time that was particularly scary for me was I was about seven or eight years old in that range, six to eight, something like that. And my mom... Uh, decided to take me to a haunted house. Um, we went to a haunted house. It was in Danvers. I'm a Danvers boy, North Shore. And uh, there was this haunted house. I think it was either the Osbournes or the Osgoods or something like that off of Forest Street. They lived in this old uh, home that was scary all the time, actually, you know. <laughs> and, and so they would have this haunted house. And so we would go through, and my mom was holding me by the hand, and I remember like putting my hand, in, and my sister was at the first service, and she reminded me, no, you didn't put your hand in the bowl. They grabbed your hand, and they stuck your hand in the bowl of eyeballs, all right? And they were grapes, apparently, but uh, <laughs> they felt like eyeballs. And I'm like, I wish you wouldn't do that, you know? And I was pretty terrified all the way through. I don't remember uh, all the particulars, but the thing that really stood out to me was the end of it. And we go walking through this, and I am so happy we're at the end. I can tell as we come around the corner, my mom's holding my hand, this little boy, and there's this gorilla. And it is huge. It looked about eight feet tall, but it was a man. And maybe it was, and the eyes were in the chest. I have no idea. But this guy was scary. And he's jumping around, and he's like, ah. And I'm so thankful that he's behind bars. I'm like, ah. Oh. At least he's behind bars. But to my abject horror, he steps up to those bars and he opens them up. <laughs> and I'm standing there right in front. Kill me now. You know, I was, I, 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 I was paralyzed. I was absolutely terrified. So much so, I remember this, 
The guy in the gorilla suit just turned around and walked back. I mean, he, he, he had a little mercy on me, and it was a, a, a really good thing. So we have this really, this interesting story, and we're going to, like I said, we're going to unpack this. Uh, but before we do, I want to talk a little bit about the enemy, the evil one, the devil, as we say. Um, I don't know, maybe you think of the devil, if you think of him at all, as this guy wearing a red tight suit, like with a pitchfork and horns coming out of his ear, you know, his head, and he, you know, he's poking people and... And so that's just kind of this caricature that we've developed. And the reality is that the enemy, the devil, is a lot more significant and profound than that type of a um, a depiction. C.S. Lewis writes about the devil. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall into about the devil. One is to disbelieve in his existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in him. The devil is equally pleased by both of these errors, inhales a materialist or a magician with the same delight. He doesn't care whether we obsess about him or we just say, I I don't believe in that stuff. The reality is there is an enemy, and he's an enemy of our souls, and the Bible talks about him a lot. He's commonly referred to as the ancient serpent, the devil or Satan. He's referred to as the adversary and the thief. Jesus tells us that this malevolent force has one goal. He he says this, he only comes... To steal, kill, and destroy. That's his whole purpose. He only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You see, the devil, or the evil one, hates God. So we find ourselves in his crosshairs because in order to get at God, he will get at us. And he comes to wreck our lives. To kill us. And if he can't kill us, then he'll steal from us the very things that God wants to give us. Or he'll destroy them. He'll enable us to wreck the very good things that God wants to give us or provide for us. God has a plan for our lives. And we have the privilege and opportunity to work with God to be a part of his plan. And the enemy wants to derail that any way that he can. The Bible teaches us that the physical realm is not where all the action's at. In fact, it teaches us that there's an ongoing battle in the spiritual world, and it's more significant than the battles that we face in our physical lives. It's a great story in Kings. We didn't look at it. I, don't, I wasn't here anyway, when, if we did, where Elisha, he's up on the mountain with his servant Gehazi. They're looking out, and the Syrian army is down there, and Gehazi's really scared. And Elisha says, hey, relax. There's more with us than there are with them. And Gehazi's thinking, what? Are you crazy? 
Look at all the army. And then Elisha prays, God, open his eyes. Will you open his eyes? And he opens his eyes and he sees the chariots of heaven, the horsemen, a big host that is much more than that little insignificant Syrian army. Gehazi was offered a glimpse into the reality of what was actually taking place. Paul tells us that, he tells the church in Ephesus that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It may seem like it. That boss that you have that's unreasonable or that person that's just giving you a hard time. That is not the essence of our battle. But it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that we can't even see. Now, this isn't designed to scare you. Here we are having a sermon about fear. Oh, boy, that that makes me feel happy and comfortable. But the reality is we serve a God that is supreme. This isn't some dualistic conflict. This is God Almighty, totally, completely sovereign. And anything that takes place is because he's allowed it. We can rest in that reality. Whether it's in our own personal lives, whether it's in our church. All that's happening is by the design of God. He's at least allowed it or he's actually caused it. Because he has a plan for us. And we don't have to be afraid. That's not to say that it's not going to be difficult at times. And we'll see that it will be difficult at times as we unpack this. What is important for us to understand is that we must, under, that we must understand that this is an evil, systematic attempt to disrupt God's plan. And we find ourselves Squarely in the crosshairs. Paul makes this interesting comment to the Corinthian church. He says, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. He says his, but he's talking about the evil one. We're not ignorant of Satan's devices. He has devices. He has plans. He has tools. And in this particular instance, he's dealing with unforgiveness. That's one of Satan's devices. To create an unforgiving spirit. And, and the flow of God's grace gets all backed up when we don't have a forgiving spirit in our own lives. And there's a ripple effect. There's collateral damage, if you will. So the enemy wants to get us. That's one of his tricks. But in this, this isn't what we're dealing with here. We know that there are devices. There are tricks. There are tools that he uses to thwart God's plan. to wreck us, to steal from us, to destroy. So it is that our passage begins with this terminology, uh, Ezra 4.1. He says, When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building the temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the family and said, Like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Asherodon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. So like, I, I, when I first read that, or my initial feeling that I get when I read this is, hey, this is great. 
These enemies are, now they want to be on our side. They want to help. What a great thing, right? This is awesome. Well, that's not the way uh, Zerubbabel and uh, Jeshua saw it. Um, and, and as I think of that, I guess I'm forgetting the fact that the Bible tells us that the enemies, <laughs> these people are enemies, and they're clothing themselves as angels of light. That's what the Bible tells us, that the devil, the enemy, clothes himself as an angel of light. He seems like a helper. And if we're not wise, if we're not discerning, we can get tricked. But they were on the ball, these guys. No, you have no part in us, they say. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua, third verse, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, you have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it, build it to, for the Lord the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. We're going to do this ourselves because you're, you're really not with us. You don't have this part, this, this uh, item, if you will, faith in God. Oh, but we've been doing all these religious things. No. It takes discernment. Sometimes we have to, we, we see people around us and they, they seem to speak the same language that we do. I'll pray for you. Oh, your parents died? I'm really sorry. We'll keep you in our prayers. And I believe it's genuine and sincere, but it's really not the same language. The moment we start getting specific, the moment we narrow it and start talking about the things that, oh, really? You believe like I do? That Jesus Christ saved your soul? What are you talking about? No, I just said I would pray for you and your family. Oh, oh, I thought that you meant that you... <laughs> oh, I get it. The Bible? You don't believe in the Bible? Of course not. Right? You know what? We don't have a part with that, people. We can be friendly and nice, and I've got friends. They, I, I consider them friends. But when it gets right down to it, I don't have a part with them. That may seem cold, may seem hard, but it takes courage to understand that. They weren't being stubborn, Zerubbabel and Jeshua. They weren't being unreasonable. They were just stating a fact. And we find out that they were spot on. What's interesting is, so if they really were just trying to help, you would think upon, you know, thanks, but no thanks. But they would say, oh, okay, well, you know, live and let live. You know, um, we gave it a good try. We, we tried to help. But no, they sharpen their approach. So what this approach to as an angel of light, as a helper, then changes really quickly. When they are rejected, no. Well, what does it say there in the um, fourth verse? It says, then the people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid. 
All right? You don't want our help? Then we are going to make your life miserable. Does that sound like a helper? Does that sound like a friend? These people reveal their true colors. And you'll see that take place. The moment you stand up for truth and you're just stating what you believe. And I'll tell you what, you'll feel it. And I've been on the other end of tremendous amount of vitriol for standing up for things that are right and true. So we have this two-prong attack, discouragement and fear. Have you ever felt discouraged? Maybe you feel discouraged right now. It's a horrible feeling. And the thing about discouragement is it's debilitating. Just like fear, it ends up with the same thing. Just like that little boy standing there. Yeah, it killed me. When we're discouraged, it's like, what's the use? I've tried my hardest. I've been doing this. I've been going at it. And, and, and for what? Really? It's discouragement. That's the enemy, people. Oxford Dictionary defines discouragement this way. Having lost confidence or enthusiasm. Disheartened. We can start out with great intentions, but the grind of life can settle in, and then the difficulties, and then whatever happens, things that God allows, and we just we run out of unction, out of motivation. It's interesting that in order to accomplish this, these people actually hired, these enemies hired counselors. That's how the AFC, AVS says, American Standard Version, it, it says they hired counselors. Bribes is what was used here. But these people, and I looked up the word, it's counselor, advice, these people to give advice. Can you imagine that? They hired people. And this council is the council of the world that says it's okay. Don't worry. Don't get too stressed. Why well, don't need to build a temple? It's just a, a thing that's always been a problem. You build a temple. You're going to rebel again. And they just go on and on. And they have this whole list. They send a letter to um, Darius. And they say, hey, look, if you let these people build the temple, there's going to be problems. You know, and in this letter, it talks about building a wall. It talks about taxes. It talk, you can read it, and it talks about tariffs. Does that sound familiar? I mean, it's like the same story. All this pressure, fear, we're not going to have it. So th this is the discouraging aspect. They hire these people. But the reality is these, these counselors do not have the same perspective that the exiles have. The exiles, they see themselves in the story of God. They're doing something that's going to have eternal implications. The counselors, they're giving advice based on the day, today. And it probably made sense. What's the big deal? Why are you all stressed and worried about this in the first place? Well, we're not. We're just doing what God told us to do. And we, you know, if it seems stupid, well, I, I, I don't really know about that. And so this pressure, this discouragement. 
And then if that wasn't enough, they wanted to make him afraid. Have you ever been afraid? It's a horrible thing, too. And it is debilitating. And I'm not talking about a momentary, you know, <gasps> you know. I was walking out to the car one day and uh, out of the Home Depot, and my wife was in the car, and just when I got in front of the car, she beeped the horn. <laughs> if I, had, I wish I had a heart attack on the spot, really. You know? no, I, scared the living daylights out of me, I'm not going to tell you. And uh, it's a funny story, because I, I went in there. I always do it to her, all right? And just a little full disclosure, all right? And so she got me back, and I walked in the car, and I used to get in the car, and I said, that wasn't, and I'm serious, too, by the way, that wasn't funny. You know, oh, no, it was, Chuck. That was really funny. <laughs> no, it was really funny. Uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that thing that makes it so that we feel like we can't move. We can't move forward. What if we make a wrong decision? The enemy... He, 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 he makes us afraid. Uh, did you ever hear of FOMO? Right? The fear of missing out. Right? That's FOMO. And there was this ad, you might miss the football game. But you, can get a, you, you don't have to miss it. You got one of these things here? You don't have to miss out anymore. You can watch it on your iPad or your phone while you're picking apples with your girlfriend or whatever you're doing out in the... And you don't miss out, Right? It's a trick of the enemy. We feel like we might miss out. You know, there are people that are afraid. What if, what if I could get a better wife? Really? This one nags me. Or whatever. Maybe I could get a better wife. And this is what the enemy tells us. We're afraid we might miss out. I have this chance. Or a better husband. Maybe one that knows how to pray, right? And, you know, Really? Or a better life. You just go in a different direction completely. Because you might be missing out. In this fear. What if I miss out? The people of God aren't concerned. Because this world is not our home anyway. And we'll see. I got a little verse I want to read at the end. That at the end, we're going to get it. And we're going to get it all. And we know that. We're getting it all. The counselors, they're the worldly counselors. What if you miss out? Oh, you know, this is what they say, our world. As long as you're happy. Have you ever heard that? What does that have to do with anything? I mean, I want to be happy, but it's not as long as I'm happy. That's for sure. You only go around once, right? You might as well make yourself happy. You might as well make the most of it. That's bad advice, people. That's a worldly counsel. You don't have to be so picky about God's word. You can live in the world, the messages. You know, we think of worldliness as like jewelry, and, and this is how I was taught, going to movies, you know, and bowling, and, and, and all, you know, really? No. You know what worldliness is? It's a mindset. And you might, movies, they tell us the world's message all the time. It's okay to cohabitate. It's okay to do this. It's okay to do that. It just, and you're weird if you don't. He prays on our fear, fear of failure. 
That's another. That's how the, the enemy works. We're afraid we'll fail. And we can be so afraid of failing that we won't even try anymore. It can be so debilitating. That story of the, 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 the talents, it's a great picture. He gives 10 to one, five to another, and one to another guy. This is Jesus telling this story. Ten guy, he goes out and he, he, he makes another ten. The guy of five, he makes another five. This guy, you know what he does with the one? He's afraid. That's what the Bible says. I was afraid, so I buried it. He didn't do anything. And God was not happy about it, the, the man. You lazy servant. That's what he calls them. We're, the, we're afraid that we might go without what would happen if I lost my job? I've had it happen to me before. I had five kids. I go to work one day, and our company got bought by another company, and so you know how that works, right? So I show up one day to work, and they say, Chuck, um, can you meet me in the, in, in the vice president's office? That doesn't sound good. I get in there, and I'm sorry, we're going to have to let you go. Oh, that's awesome. So I drive home. You put your stuff in a box, right? I put myself in a box, and they, they drive me home in my car, but it's not my car. It's the company's car. So they drop me off, a car that I used for years, and my daughter says, Daddy, why is he driving your car away? <laughs> Talk about scared. It's awful. God was there. I remember walking in, and this is a little tip of the hat to my wife. I'm thinking, what are we going to I just wanted to go to bed. That's what I wanted to do. And she, she comes up, she says, don't worry, God's going to take care of us. I can imagine if she said, what are we going to do? You know, it would have just, just made me freak out more. But no, there was this steady godliness, God is going to take care of us. Yeah, he's going to take care of us. I went and I coached my daughter's soccer game that day. Because God gave me the ability to rise above that fear. What's going to happen? But you know what? With this story, it actually does fall apart. The Bible tells us, if you read on, we don't look at it right now for time, it says the work came to a standstill. 20 years, it stood still. Can you imagine that? They get rocking and they're doing it, we're building the temple, we're building the wall, and then 20 years, gone. How discouraging might that have been? So 20 years later, though, it gets started up again, and the king tells the people in the, in the Holy Land there, the exiles, he actually, he writes to the governors and the leadership of the area. He says, look it, here's the deal. You are, to, and this is, this is right from the text, stay away from there. This is what these people that were aggravating and, and, and hindering and, and discouraging and making them, stay away from them. I don't want you anywhere near them. And moreover, do not interfere with the work on this temple of God. And then he goes on, he says, I want you to pay fully out of the treasury. And then I want you to give them their expenses. So things really turned around for an amazing victory. But we had a 20-year gap. And sometimes things get really ugly and difficult. But the story's not over. And then, bam, God does an amazing thing. And it's even better than we ever could have imagined. But you know what? That isn't always the story either, is it? 
If you want, you can turn over. It's Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 13. I'm going to read a little section. He's talking about these heroes, these people that walked with God. And he says, these were people, beginning in the 13th verse, the writer writes, these people were still living by faith when they died. That sounds really good. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They didn't get their prayers answered. It didn't work out like they thought it was going to work out. They didn't imagine this, and yet they believed right up the day. And it says that they greeted them from afar. What it says? They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on this earth. You see, they were living eternally. All right? They that say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of that country that they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country. And there's something within all of us that is longing for something more. And the only satisfaction is going to come at the end of the age. God is preparing a city for us. So I, I, I wrote down here, there are two things that are important for us to realize. That number one is we are in the story of God. Yeah, you are. You are his witness. That's what the Bible tells us. You are part of the body of Christ, which every joint supplies. Just sitting in this pew this morning, you are affecting the globe. Preach the gospel wherever you go. And when necessary, use words. Francis of Assisi, it's a great quote. And we must recognize that this world is not our home. It's difficult for us who live in the United States. We got it pretty good. But I encourage you, maybe you should go on a mission trip to a third world nation. I've been to Haiti several times. I don't think it's hard for them to imagine a different world, a better world. I've been to Moldova over in Eastern Europe. Poverty, unbelievable poverty. So they didn't get the answer to their prayer, but this is what's going to happen for all of us at the end of the age. I'm reading out of the book of Revelation. He said, and I heard a great voice out of the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. What that means is all the pain, all those unanswered prayers. Yeah, they died of cancer. We prayed, but they still died. Yeah, they didn't overcome that health issue. We prayed. We surely we prayed. In all the pain, more than Job's new daughters, much more profound, those things will be wiped away in the effects of those things gone. 
and death shall be no more. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the first things have passed away. That's what we're going to get. We're going to be in a, in a, in a we, we can't even fathom it. We're going to be in a situation where we can't feel pain anymore. It'll be foreign. I, I get the, uh, the impression we'll be trying to explain it. Do you remember when we felt, yeah, it's really hard to even, what does that mean? Wouldn't that be a great world to live in? Pain and suffering. That's, that's the antidote to that discouragement and that fear. All right, bring on the worst. I don't want it any more than you do. But at the end of the day, God's grace is sufficient for us. And they found that out. And they actually ended up getting their prayers answered. And most of the time, we get ours. I can tell you time after time, that job, I lost my job. Guess what? That's how I got into ministry. I never would have done it. I decided, well, I'll go back to school then. And I went to school, and I got my first degree, and I went on and got further degree in order to be able to minister. What an amazing thing. It wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't have quit that job. I had a company car. I had a company credit card. I had company expenses. I, it was a great job. I wouldn't have quit it. God's like, yeah, I got something else to do. What seemed like a complete disaster turned out to be an amazing thing. And we're in that middle right now. This seems pretty difficult, losing staff like we are. I don't know about you, but it's a little unnerving, a little unsettling. I'm believing God's going to do some major big thing for us. And I'm not just a rah-rah person if you get to know me. I think God has got something big for us. And let's just not allow the discouraging, those paid counselors, to bring us down. Let's... let's, uh, Let's revel in his goodness. Father, I pray that all these devices that the enemy tries to uh, conjure against us, discouragement and fear and all these things, I pray, God, that you would raise up a standard. The Bible says when the enemy came in like a flood, that you raised up a standard. I believe that flag of Christ is firmly planted here at Free Christian. And as, us, as a church and us as individuals, we are sons and daughters of the Almighty. And I pray, God, and, and we're, we're, we're longing for another country where you are our God and you are with us, Emmanuel. And I believe uh, that uh, you can implant that uh, peace and that desire within us so that we can endure everything that you ask us to endure. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.